and Sophia are dating the same man. Sophia <laughs> comes home with him and Blanche is in like this beautiful nightgown. Hilarity ensues and then Blanche says I'm just going to go take a bath with enough water to cover my perky bosoms. And Sophia deadpan says you're only going to sit an inch of water? <laughs> and it's like the best line read of the entire series. <laughs> oh and I guess we're back because I'm seeing that we're recording. <laughs> I'm back to what is it? Golden Guild? What <laughs> <laughs> the Golden Girls? Golden Guild. Golden Guild. Golden Guild, Gilded Girls. We're taking all Both options work here. very well. <laughs> we are back. We're here to discuss six more movies from 1985 that were not nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. If you want to hear our thoughts on those that were nominated, go back, listen to our previous episode where we discussed those. Once again, back with us is Zay. Welcome back. Hello, everyone. We're going to jump right in. (laughs) We're going to jump right in with our movies that we picked. Like always, we each picked two extras that we wanted to talk about. First on our lists, one that I picked um, is a movie from Martin Scorsese called After Hours. This is a really kind of wacky movie about this guy played by Griffin Dunn, who is a word processor. I don't know if those exist anymore. Like, I don't know. This is the 80s, but he is a word word processor. And he agrees to go on this date with this woman he meets in Soho in New York. And they meet at a coffee shop. He goes to meet her later. And it basically becomes a series of wild and twisted events from there. He comes across a lot of very interesting people throughout his time. He basically falls into a Murphy's Law of what can go wrong will go wrong throughout his night. And it's all about him simply trying to get back home, which is difficult to do because he's lost all his money, um, the little cash that he had. He has lost his keys all this stuff that's going on. These people keep trying to stop him. So it basically follows his misadventures. If that does not sound like a Martin Scorsese movie to you, I would agree. Um, It's probably one of his more, I don't know, different films compared to his usual filmography. But I really appreciate that and really loved it, honestly. Um, I thought it was pretty fun to follow along to. Moves along really quickly. It's a pretty short movie. And just watching this guy interact with all these people is kind of fun and enjoyable at times. But thoughts from either of you? It's very Wizard of Oz-like, the way you're talking about mm. it and the way I've heard it described, because he's trying to get back home, meeting all these weird characters that are preventing him at all costs from getting home. Like you have John Hurd as this bartender whose girlfriend killed herself, and he can't get like, I guess keys or whatever money to get back home. Catherine O'Hara as his ice cream truck driver in the middle of the night who like wants to give him a ride. But then there's signs posted by Terry Gar who's saying he's like a murderer slash robber getting home. And it's like, 
this man ain't never getting home. But <laughs> it's a weird Scorsese movie. I don't think I read that he wasn't originally intended to direct it, maybe. It's not like a gritty crime mobster movie, as you'd expect. So yeah. that's my two cents. I think, I think he was originally shut down for Last Temptation of Christ by Paramount. And so he's like, okay, fine. I'm going to go make an independent feature instead. And then he made this. That makes sense. And then made that later. So I can, I can see Zay teetering on the edge of your seat there. <laughs> I know what you're about to go with. Let's hear it. Um, well, I don't hate this movie, but I'm definitely on the opposite end of the spectrum because I'm just like, okay. So I watched it for the first time february march somewhere and so i was like i'm not feeling this movie and then brett picked it and i was like well i have to rewatch it and then i rewatched it and i'm still like yeah i'm not feeling this movie i don't know what it is for me first of all (laughs) big bomb here i'm not a huge fan of scorsese i don't get the appeal like i understand he's good at what he does i just don't like his movies and every straight man just turned off the <laughs> Sorry, that's what you get for putting me on. I don't know how many listen to it anyway, but um I'm sorry. Send me hateful emails. I'll love it. Um But I my problem with this is it's very it's like a wacky movie, like you guys were saying. It's like a misadventure that happens overnight. And I'm looking at it, I'm like this has the blood of a lot of like surreal films I've seen, but it feels like someone was like, that's too spicy. Let me put an ice cube in it. Mm. And that's how I watched the film. And I just, I can't connect to it. I don't, the adventure that happens, I'm like, yeah, that's silly. But I'm like, what else we got? And it just doesn't, it doesn't click for me. I don't know. Well, I will say, like, if you're not a fan of Scorsese's style, you're probably you probably may not like this movie because although it's very different from him, his style is very much still intact with this movie. Mm -hmm. Like, you can still tell it's a Scorsese film. Wait, um, to um, alienate myself more, Hugo is my favorite movie from him. That one's not a bad movie. I love Hugo. No, but people don't people don't talk about it. Or they're like, when they talk about Scorsese, they're not going to bring up Hugo, right? But yeah. Uh, did any did either of you spot Scorsese in the movie? Yes, he was in the club scene. Yeah, he was running oh. the spotlight. Yeah. But um, you mentioned John. Yeah, true. I think he. I'm trying to remember what he looked like in that scene. I don't know. But um, <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, is that Scorsese? And I looked it up. I'm like, oh, it is. But um. John Hurd being in this movie, I was like, oh, John Hurd, you know, he passed away recently. He was in Home Alone. And then Catherine O'Hara showed up and I was like, oh, my gosh, Catherine O'Hara, John Hurd. I hope Christian is watching this movie with Toby because he absolutely loves Home Alone. He watched it after. Did you? He watched it after. Me. Oh, okay. okay. I just wondered. I told him they were both in it. I don't think he got that because he was like, hey, Catherine O'Hara's in this. And I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think if I were to think of why someone wouldn't like this movie, part of me would also wonder if part of it was the lead character. Because I don't like him. he's not very likable. I mean, I he's not one. 
Yeah, I, I understand that because I don't, I don't particularly root for him. I just enjoy seeing him go through all this stuff that keeps happening. I find it funny. Like the man, I don't think this is too much of a spoiler. He is put in a paper mache cast at one point in this movie, which was like wild, but. Wild, I tell you. I no, that part is really weird. Because so. <laughs> it's just another way for him not to get home because he's hiding from the mob that's out to get him or whatever. And then the woman is like, let me put yeah. you in a cast. Nobody's going to find you there. And he's like, okay, cool. They're gone. She's like, no, no, no. They still might be upstairs. And then he's stuck in that cast. And who comes along but like Laurel and Hardy of the 80s, except with more wheat in them, Cheech and Chong. <laughs> <laughs> like they're, they're like hey man let's do this i'm like okay man <laughs> like okay what are you guys doing in here i mean i will say that the cast is definitely interesting they found like the best people to get for like the least amount of money yeah at the time like people that people would know that are going to entertain them but like aren't the big names yep i did like the way it ended um I don't want to reveal it, but it just kind of the way it ended kind of brought it full circle for me and made me think about like the mundanity of life at times and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I like that ending too. Um, I was watching a video essay comparing it to the wizard of Oz, like Christian was talking about and how it was like Dorothy just ends up back in Kansas. He just ends up back in his job. Yeah. That was a nice, when you look at it through the wizard of Oz lens, I did like it a little more. But at the same time, oh, I took, it, <laughs> I took that. that I took that as a wrong thing. Go ahead, go. I was like this better than <laughs> no, no, no. What? <laughs> no, um, but um, because Christian recommended me the movie after I had rewatched The Wizard of Oz. Oh, and I was like, oh, I'll look through it that way. And looking at it through the lens, I'm like, yeah, I can see it. But then I'm like, I'd rather be watching The Wizard of Oz. True. Well, Christian, I'm glad you mentioned that though, because I did not even think about that and hadn't yeah. heard about it. And so it kind there's of... a really nice video. There's a really nice video essay on YouTube if you just look up Wizard of Oz um, after hours. It's nice. like it, it's really the definition cool. of coming full circle. Because you start at one point and mm-hmm. get through every little shit possible to get home, and home is where the heart is, but it's your job. The mundanity <laughs> of of the yuppies yeah. of the '80s. As a word processor. But anyway, some fast facts. Um, this was Scorsese's first film since 1974, which Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore is the movie that didn't feature Robert De Niro. And so I don't know how many he made in that time, but uh, I can tell you what he made off the top of my head. Oh, oh God, no. <laughs> oh, <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> For real. You taxi driver in New York, New York, Raging Bull. True. Um, but Scorsese did win Best Director at the Cannes Film Festival for this, and it did win the Independent Spirit Award for Best Feature and Director, but did not have any Oscar nominations. So I thought it might have got in for like editing. Um, I could probably I could see that happening, play. but yeah, screenplay too, for sure. But I liked, I, I would have also been for like art direction. That's right. Yeah, I actually had it as a pretty high contender in our direction for me, because there is a strong focus on the details throughout the movie, like mm-hmm. hand signals, things like that, and all of it. Did anybody have a setting. favorite um, 
character that he meets. Like mine, I think was Catherine. Perry. That's a great question. Just because she's so like trusting, and that's like his one shot to get home, and then she turns on him so fast. And it just reminds me of like what yeah, I see Kate yes. McKinnon nowadays, yeah. where she's just standing there awkwardly with like her eyes mm. like wide, and then she starts an angry mob out of nowhere to like pretty much kill him. <laughs> yeah, I I also agree with her. Yeah, I would agree, especially because that scene where she is leading the mob against her, like she is so funny to watch in that scene, how she just like rallies the troops up and is like going to get this thief. So I agree. Yeah, she'd be my pick, too. Any other thoughts on After Hours before our next movie? All right. Um, I will. I'll put my email at the end of the podcast if you want to put some hateful comments (laughs) for me. You heard it, Scorsese bros. <laughs> All right, Zay, do you want to take us away on our next movie? Yes. Uh, I this is a weepy. I was I was tearing up, making up notes earlier. Okay, so our next movie is the film Buddies, directed by Arthur J. Bresen Jr. Um, and it's a movie about a gay man. David Bennett, who volunteers as a buddy and gets paired up with Robert Willow, a gay man dying from AIDS in a hospital. Um, David is uptight and doesn't want to talk about his personal life, while Robert is a bit more open about his life and the different things that got him to where he is now, including being an advocate and how his loved ones abandoned him. Um, With each trip to the hospital, David starts to loosen up and develop feelings for Robert, friendship, and possibly more, as Robert gets sicker and sicker evaluating his life and his identity through this crisis. Uh, So, Precursor, I picked this film without ever seeing it. And I am so glad I picked this. This is, like, one of my favorite new films that that I've seen this year. Oh my god. I was just... I like to take baths and watch movies. And I was just sitting in the bathtub, just sobbing. <laughs> Don't give me that look. It's very relaxing. It's my, it's my little people just do drugs and drink. Doesn't I take fall baths. in. No, it just sits on a little ledge. It's fine. Yes, but anywho, um, I'm also glad you picked this movie because I never heard of it. I didn't think I was going to be able to find it. I found it on Canopy. Yeah, so that was very nice. It's on, it's on Canopy, if anybody has access to that to watch. I'm pretty sure it's still on there. Um, we were talking mm-hmm. earlier in our first episode about Rock Hudson dying of AIDS and that being sort of a catalyst for AIDS in Hollywood and how it can impact somebody as famous as Rock Hudson. This as you wrote in the facts, advertises the first dramatic film about AIDS. And again, we're not talking about this a whole lot in the 80s because Reagan, fuck him, sort of swept it under his nasty-ass toupee, whatever the hell is on his head. It's a sad movie. I didn't cry. (laughs) I know, Zay, you told me you did. Or at least, I'm assuming you did. Yeah. But I did like the acting in this a lot. Jeff Edholm is my favorite part of this film. Especially the parts when he's, well, obviously he's in the hospital bed the entire film. But when he's getting angry, pretty much attacking life because life has attacked him, 
Nobody gives a shit about this AIDS patient except for this one man who was trying to friend him. And now thinking about it, it's kind of like Kiss of the Spider Woman, where you have these two very different people. I mean, they are both gay men, but they're mm -hmm. totally different perspectives of their life, especially the part where they're talking about going to pride parades mm -hmm. and why one won't go and why one will go and why everybody should. I mean, it's another film about a friendship, an unlikely friendship. Yeah, the pride praise and also them talking about like their families and their parents and like their coming out process was very much different. Um, but yeah, I agree. Both central performers in this movie, David Chapter, Jeff Edholm. I mean, obviously, the movie was, you know, so small and so independently made that it was never going to be in contention for Oscars, unfortunately. Oh, but those two are so good. I mean, like contention for winners if that if there was justice and it was considered honestly and i thought about kiss of the spider woman too i was like man this kind of reminds me of that movie only even better um and their companionship as it goes through and like, i was really glad you picked it yeah because like even looking on letterbox there's like hardly any views on it so this movie isn't one that people are like still to, like it just got um a 4k um, restoration um, in 2016, I think I wrote. 2018. 2018. Yeah, and it was by Vinegar Syndrome. So, like, there's still interest in the movie. And right. that's why it's on Canopy, I think, because I think Vinegar Syndrome gives their movies to Canopy. But, yeah, it's just super important, and, like, it's just a very human look at AIDS, because I feel like so many movies that came later were just movies that were set up just for the cause of AIDS, rather than giving like human sympathetic empathetic looks at the thing. And I don't, I just connected so much to the film that I, cause you know, and then finding out later that the director and the actor were both um, um, diagnosed. And I'm like, that makes so much fucking sense that oh, it's wow. just like, so there. Um Oh, I'm getting emotional. I was going to say, I, this already made me sad, and now I'm like, oh. I love this movie so much. I'm so glad I found it. Um, but um, it was like, I also, when we, you were giving me options of which years to pick from, you said 1985. I got excited because there's a lot of gay films were coming around 1985, but it was mostly New York festivals, so half of them actually counted for 98, 1986 films. But this came out around the same time as like My Beautiful Laundrette, Desert Hearts, Angelic Conversation, and the TV movie about AIDS and Major Frost, which came out later that year. But uh, a bunch of gay movies were coming out of the New York Festival, and there was a newspaper like, look at all these gay films. I can't. <laughs> and like, they were just complaining about like four gay films at the festival. Oh, jeez. So, Reaganomics. <laughs> Speaking of Reagan, though, like, oh, God. you got I don't know if you may have mentioned this before when my deal zoomed out, but the intro no. to this film, which is like a quiet intro, and it's like going through the list of all the people who have died of AIDS. Mm -hmm. That was like just a super powerful intro, like you're immediately yeah, hooked in, you know, the severity of the problem. And it's like it is I feel like it's a shot at Reagan, you know, and those people who did absolutely nothing about it. And so and that's why he made this film. He was already making like he made some like documentary films and like protest films 
but mostly he was like, he did a lot of, of gay pornography. And um, according to what I found, he was just like, um, Hollywood won't depict homosexuality, even though gay people have always been a part of Hollywood. And now they just refuse to talk about AIDS. And he's like, well, fine, I'll just make a movie. And that's why he has the first major film about HIV. AIDS, it's... You can clear it's just a personal passion project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But other than the sad parts, there's a lot of, like, really warm parts, too. Like, I don't want to, like, deter people away feeling like this is going to depress the hell out of you. Like, the when he, like, brings the VCR and he starts showing him yes. his porn. That's such a good moment. That's a great scene. It really is. Um, It is, yeah. I mean, it is heartbreaking, but it is also, like you said, it, it's... There are some really nice moments, especially between these two characters and just coming to terms with who they are. The only I will say, like, you always think like, you know, a film like this that like did not have a huge budget. You know, are there going to be issues when you're watching this movie? And other than a few sound things, it didn't feel like that at all for me. You know, no, it doesn't take all. away from the movie. And so that was it's awesome pretty because it's also pretty much I mean set in this one room. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's like two. There's the hospital yeah. and the apartment. And even then, you didn't really right. see his boyfriend. Right. Oh, and, you, and his mom is my favorite character, even though you don't see her. And she's like so supportive. And it's like, and she's like, yeah, his family disowned him. She's like, can you imagine disowning your own son? <sighs> and I'm like, God bless you, Mrs. Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I really enjoyed that like discussion between those two characters and their experience with their parents, and also their discussion of God um, mm. towards the end of the film was really, really intriguing and um, cool to watch as well. So, mm -hmm. I will say, like, if you're gonna watch a buddy movie, this is the one to watch. Obviously, literally called Buddies, but. <laughs> But, but like also if like your queer film like watching that you haven't seen too many this is like you need to put at the top of your list like this is it's not straight shit shoveled through a meat grinder this is good yeah uh zay do you have any other facts for us that you want to point out um I think I got them all. I mean, I said that it was like the first movie about AIDS from like a, and it, yeah, it was the first movie about AIDS, but five years later they came out with Long Time Companion, which was the first Hollywood movie about AIDS. So 1990, yeah. they waited until they actually made something. Wow. So, but yeah, I, I addressed everything else I wrote. So cool. yeah, buddies, very great film. Everyone should check it out. It's on Canopy. Do you have canopy through your library? If not, request it. Yeah. Awesome. Any other thoughts on buddies before we move on to Christian's first movie? I'm just glad Zay picked it. Yeah, me too. This is another one um, like Song of Love where I had not even heard of it. And it was like, wow, this is amazing. Great pick. All right, Christian, take it away. Okay, boys and girls. The word of the day is movie. <laughs> and when you hear the word movie, you need to scream. So our next movie. Ah! 
Well, first of all, I was wondering if Brett even got the reference. <laughs> <laughs> but the next one we're talking about is Pee-wee's Big Adventure, directed by a man named Tim Burton in his directorial debut. Pee-wee Herman is a character uh, Paul Rubens created in the early 80s as a stage show, the Pee-wee Herman show. And so this movie... I said movie. Ah! Sorry. Is about Pee Wee Herman and his bike. So he loves his bike. This is basic as this plot gets. He loves his bike so much that even other people love his bike, including Francis, his pretty much nemesis, who really wants this bike as well. One day, one day, Pee Wee finds that his bike, I should have had bike as the word of the day. (laughs) <laughs> is uh is stolen and he literally has a fucking meltdown where he brings everybody into his basement he has exhibits including exhibit q it's a full-scale model of the entire mall what's the significance i don't know but yes and from there it turns into a large adventure literally cross-country of Pee-wee trying to get his bike back because a fortune teller told him it is in the basement of the Alamo. It is probably one of the funniest films I have ever seen. I grew up on this film. Excuse me. I grew up on this movie. Ah, I would would rent the VHS (laughs) so many times in the library. I would watch it over and over again. I still enjoy watching the fuck out of this movie. Ah. I said, ah, how long sorry. are we doing this for? You may stop. <laughs> Just <laughs> you may stop. But yes, again, once again, um, it really shows off not only Paul Rubens as Pee-wee and all the humor he has, but since it is a Tim Burton movie, you get a lot of what Tim Burton would become in terms of his yeah. quote unquote brand. Because you also have Danny Elfman doing an ama- what I consider an amazing score here. That's fun. It's dramatic. It's suspenseful. The cinematography is great. The plotting is great. He literally has a cross-country tour to Texas and back to California. (laughs) And I mean, five stars. This is at least for me, top 25 favorite films of all time. It's so weird to say that in hindsight because people find Judy Herman and Paul Rubin so weird, but I don't. Because he's always been in my childhood. Interesting. That wasn't the case for me. I mean, like, same. My first experience with (laughs) Pee Wee Herman was like late night TV. I think it was like Adult Swim. There was this show like Pee Wee's Playhouse on one night when I was growing up. So, like, what the hell is this? I turned on and it's this man like playing. I'm like, this is weird. And so I turned it and that was like (laughs) the depth of my Pee Wee Herman experience. They still show it on IFC channel. My first experience was, I'm pretty sure, finding out about the masturbation scandal. Oh my god. (laughs) So that was, I had to work my way backwards. (laughs) But I haven't seen this movie, I I think my, within the past four or five years, the first time I saw this. Because I think it was like me trying to see all the Tim Burton movies I haven't seen. And being like, well, I don't know if I'll like this, but I guess I'll watch it. And then I watch it. I'm like, no, this is great. I this is such a good movie. I I don't love it nearly as much as Christian, but I do. <laughs> I do have it in probably like my 
top movies like of all time, which is like a list of 600 at this point, but whatever. Um, but yeah, it's a great movie. I love it. That fucking Alamo joke. Oh my gosh, yes. I can't remember. I can't remember. What do you remember? I remember the Alamo. Yeah! <laughs> Between fucking stitches. Because this movie has this... It's like a complete genre of comedy that's really fucking stupid, but it's like the smart kind of stupid. And because, you know, if it was actual stupid, no one would get it. But because it like clicks that one bit of genius, it's great. And that's what Pee-wee is. Pee-wee is just perfect. It honestly feels like everybody knows that they're in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like that joke. And also when he first arrives in Texas and his friend is like, how do you know you're in Texas? And he's like, the stars are bright, so late at night, <laughs> we've been the heart of Texas. Well, that's what I uh, loved about it. I was worried going in that it was going to be like, Pee Wee was just this weird soul, and everybody else was like, who the fuck is this guy? But that they're all kind of like in on it and kind of weird in their own way really made me enjoy it a lot more. And for real, I'm glad you mentioned the Alamo joke, because like the joke stuck with me. I liked them. But that one was on another level. I thought about it a day later and still laughed at, to myself. Because it has the like... perfect setup. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. Like their movements in that joke are perfect. It's just like perfectly timed. Oh my gosh. I think my biggest takeaway was like when I first wanted to watch it, I was like, is this just a kid's movie? Yeah. And then when you watch it, you're like, oh, no, this is, if you show it to your kid, I don't think the kid's going to get it. No. Well, I got it as a kid. <laughs> well, I mean, you got to be a certain kind of kid. <laughs> I would say that there are, there are two things as a kid that I knew how to perfect well. The Cowardly Lion's introduction speech of Put em Up, Put em Up, and the story of Large Marge. <laughs> like, Large I mean, Marge. I still know how to do that entire scene by heart. And people would eat it up when I was a kid because they're like, what the hell is this kid doing watching this movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Large Marge is one of those that will probably compare with the second movie I picked of something in a movie that generally you think is okay for kids to watch, but then turns out <laughs> later everyone's like, that scarred me as a kid. <laughs> that's, like another, that's like another little thing of Tim Burton because you'll see that in right. a ton of his other movies coming yeah. from his career. That was the other unexpected thing. Like, I didn't expect this film to be as well shot as it was. Like, even with Tim Burton's name on it, I was like, I was watching like the first like dream scene. I'm like, man, this is a really well shot movie. Like, cinematography's like you mentioned is really good. And so, I didn't. It doesn't love feel it. Like, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like a first feature film. It does. No, it definitely doesn't. And I didn't love it like the two of you do, I don't think, but I definitely enjoyed it more than I thought I would, especially considering my prior history with Pee Wee Herman that made me think he was like kind of a pedophile, dare I say, just from my one time watching his show, but definitely have a lot more appreciation for him now. Sorry, Christian. Damn, I had to work harder than Brett and I got to where I'm supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, this is good. It's good. Yeah, You pick good. Good pick. I mean, I've already seen it, but I'm glad I got to rewatch it. Ugh, this is so hard to pick because I was like, there's maybe four other movies I could pick from. And I'm like, mm -hmm. literally, it came down to this thought process. Which one of these movies 
that I love do I want Brett to see for the first time ever? Mm. And I was like, I don't think he would ever watch Pee-wee in his entire life. We're making him watch Pee-wee. That's fair. I mean, I'm not going to argue that. He can get a taste of my childhood. (laughs) (laughs) Christian, do you have some fast facts for us? Yes. This was number 19 at the box office. So crack the top 20. $40.9 million. Um, Again, this is based on the Pee-wee Herman show, which is a stage show. The variety compared Ruben's humor to Chaplin and Keaton, Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin. I can definitely see that now watching yeah roger ebert never officially reviewed the film but mentioned it in a list of guilty pleasures in 1987 so like go roger and the film which i never put together until looking at these fun facts can be seen as a take on bicycle thieves an italian neorealism film that brett one of my favorites has just clutched his heart (laughs) another fun fact that i found out that i didn't write down was that originally the script that they wanted to do was a take on pollyanna oh my god (laughs) and have peewee play pollyanna basically oh my god i mean he does drag as a nun in this i would like to say that peewee herman is a drag character i think if we took it as that lens yeah yeah See it. Am I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Never been on RuPaul, though. Needs to be. Um, can I just say for Brett, because Zay, you've seen this, I'm going to push you away for a minute. What did you think okay. of the tequila scene? Of what scene? The tequila scene. Oh. Um. Oh my God, he paused. Take me back. When does it occur? I'm I'm having trouble placing it now. <laughs> and there it is. I swear I watched this movie. I did. I just he's going into the bar and it's a bunch of rowdy bikers and he's like, "Could you all be quiet, please?" While he's trying. Oh, to- oh, sorry, sorry. I'm dumb. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> it was like, it was like his involvement in that scene is just like his him being around all these like weird people is like his comparing it to the Alamo one. With all the like Texans, like they've all got their own little quirks. If it's the same scene I'm thinking of, maybe I stopped you too early. And then they want to kill him, and he says, No, let him live. And he does the whole tequila dance. Yeah. Okay. Do you not agree? I mean, I wouldn't say they're weird considering they're a bunch of rowdy bikers. Well, not weird, but like they've got their own quirks. Oh, so. okay. Yeah. It's kind of like the people from the Alamo, they're all like rednecks all these bikers are like basically the same person. And so I don't know when he's surrounded by people like that. I think it's funny. So. But yeah. I'm a loner, Dottie, a rebel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then the, the recreation of the, the movie version. Oh my God. James that Brolin. Yes. Paging Mr. Herman. Mr. Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> and then they, and then they just dub over. <laughs> He weeps voice when he makes a cameo. <laughs> great film, great film. Too bad Brett hated it. <laughs> I didn't hate it. I thought the ending dragged on a little bit. Like with the whole, I like the whole idea of how they're gonna make a movie about Pee Wee. But the last, like, I don't know, thirty minutes or so, I don't know. I feel like it could have got there quicker. But <laughs> death glares between 
between Pee Wee and Life of Pi, when is your career going to end? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Okay. I'm the, I'm the hateful insult in your emails. <laughs> I should, yeah, I should put my email at the end of this too. <laughs> For the big peewee fans. For the big peewee fans out there. In line with the Michael Clayton ones. <laughs> <laughs> we're at the point in our podcast where we're now cross-referencing all our other podcasts. Yes. <laughs> Any other thoughts on Pee Wee? Great film. film. If you've ever, if you've ever been like, I don't know, watch it. Yeah, it is worth a watch. Again, I will say before we go to the next one, Danny Elfman scoring this. Good stuff. Yeah, his second great. one for a feature really film. okay. Great. Yes. After Forbidden, and Zone. obviously his first co- collaboration with Tim. Yep. Very nice. Okay, move on to my second film, which is over time and at the time, one of the more popular ones from this year. One of them. And that is Back to the Future. Oh, did you say time? What's that? Oh, God damn it. Time? (laughs) Anyway, this is a story of Marty McFly, played by uh, Michael J. Fox. He is a 17-year-old in high school with his two parents, um, one of whom is basically a nerd. The other one just kind of like, I don't know, how would you describe her? I don't know. She's not, they're very mundane, I guess is the way I put it. And he basically um, gets in contact. He knows this guy named Doc Brown, who is played by Christopher Lloyd, who believes that he has discovered time travel. And so they're going. Marty is going to film him in his time traveling DeLorean, making the jump. Um, but instead, these terrorists show up. Kind of weird, but they're there because he stole a bunch of plutonium. And anyway, complications ensue. Marty ends up in the DeLorean, and he ends up going back in time from 1985 to 1955. Same town and everything. His parents are in high school. Uh, but the problem is that he messes up the space-time continuum in which his parents are supposed to get together and fall in love. And what he notices is that because of this, um, his family, you know, his um, him and his brother and sister will eventually disappear. It'll be like his parents never got together, um, changed time completely. And so he's out on this quest to get his parents together and eventually, of course, get back to 1985 where he belongs. I think, I don't know, I think this is just like a really good film to just like, if you're looking for a movie maybe to watch for the family to just kind of sit down and enjoy and take in i mean it's not gonna be like an artsy film that you have to pay too deep of attention to but it is a lot of fun i think when i started watching the first like 10 or 15 minutes of this i was kind of worried like thinking like is this gonna be as good as i thought it was because it's a little slow building but then once it, it really gets slow. yeah and so but once it really gets going, it's just kind of just pure enjoyment and excitement. Um, Marty, you know, at the beginning, I'm thinking, okay, Michael J. Fox beginnings a little rocky, but eventually he becomes a character that's really interesting to follow and like, and especially Christopher Lloyd. I mean, his character is a lot of fun throughout the entire thing. 
So thoughts from you all. Um, yeah, I think this is one of, I will probably say one of the greatest films ever in terms of its genre of like sci-fi because it's not doing like a normal sci-fi time travel thing. We're going back to like colonial Virginia or like medieval times. You're literally going back in time and you meet your parents and then there's a repercussion of if your parents never met and it's because of your fault. Like you're cock blocking your own parents. <laughs> oh God, I wanted to say that for so long. It's really, you know, it's great, it's fun. Like you said, Fred, it's a great family movie. Uh, I have seen it before in, I mean, obviously I've seen it before, but I have seen it before in a sold out theater. And believe me, there's a lot of families there. That was so fun because all the old people who were like, I came out when this, I like. Flashback to buddies. <laughs> I was just a young person when this came out. It was a great film then. It's a great film now. But yeah. And Michael J. Fox, which I'm like, I never realized he didn't really make a whole lot of movies because he was more on, like, TV shows mm-hmm. at this time. He's, like, really good in this. I mean, he's jittery as hell, because he's obviously like, what the fuck am I doing back in the 50s? <laughs> yeah, and Christopher Lloyd is great. I love him. Yeah. Money! Awesome. Alright, oh, now to me. Oh, uh, once again, my email is at the end of this... Uh... I like Back to the Future as much as Brett likes uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I think it's a good film. (laughs) I think it's a good film. I've seen it maybe three or four times now. This was probably my third or fourth time seeing this. And it's a movie where I'm like, yeah, that's a good movie if someone were to bring it up. But then I was thinking about it. This is a film I don't think I could go a week without someone mentioning or Mm -hmm. making a reference to. And when it's a movie that you don't really particularly are passionate about, you're just like, I get it. You like that movie. And I'm just like, I don't like hearing about it all the time. And I want people to see another movie. That's where I am with this movie, where I'm like, I would like it a lot more if everyone wasn't talking about it all the time. And that's where I, it's just such a pop culture staple that even my grandmother knew what it was when it came on the TV. And she doesn't know a whole lot when it comes to stuff yeah. like that. You know what that is? That's the power of love. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. You're right. But um, I think, yeah, structurally, it's a very very good popcorn flick. Like Brett was talking about, just popping it on. Like, again, probably something I would just pop on if I wasn't constantly hearing about it. That's my biggest complaint about the movie. And I guess that's not the film's fault itself. It's just the culture that's been built around the film that makes me have a slight more disdain for it than I would normally. I do enjoy part two more. Ooh, interesting. I do I love can, part two quite a bit as well. I can get that too, because part two is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, the hoverboards. I like retro futurism, like looking at like what people thought the future would look like. I'm really into that aesthetic in films. So nice. that's what I really like about that. But it's also like a lot of the story structure and stuff. Nice. Um, this movie did have one win for best sound effects editing, which makes sense. Um, it was also nominated nominated for original screenplay, original song, and sound mixing. One that I would really like, I really think it got snubbed on was the score by Alan Silvestri. Um, who I think recently did the end game score. I might be wrong, but I was just thinking like the the big final scene where Marty is like 
driving the DeLorean and trying to get back to 1985. That's just a fun, really fun scene, really high intensity. And that score is a big reason why, if not the biggest reason why. Um, so I really love the score. But really, I paid a lot more attention, I think, this time to the screenplay, which when I think back to the future, do I think green, great screenplay normally? Plot, structurally, yes. But there are a lot of like really fun little lines in this film. Like I love when he plays Johnny B. Good and he's like going wild on stage in the 1950s and everybody in the crowd is like what the hell just happened and he's like yeah maybe you're not ready for that but your kids are gonna love it and that's like that's one point where michael j fox says that you're just like man he's cool that that's a little bit <laughs> so my favorite line is like christopher lloyd asking who's the president in 1985 ronald reagan <laughs> oh, yeah. ronald reagan hey actor the actor <laughs> <laughs> and it's like you if imagine going back to like 2004 donald trump the tv man oh man true <laughs> yeah christopher lloyd I, that's another one i really wish he would have got a, an acting nomination for this one as well because he pretty much shines throughout this thing he's a perfect casting choice oh yeah i mean they both are because in film fun facts brought to you by christian Fox was originally <laughs> was originally supposed to be Marty in this, right? But his show, what the hell was it called? Family Ties prevented him from getting on this because of casting or because of schedule conflicts. So they got another kid to do it, but the other kid really wasn't like landing the humor aspect of it. In fact, the kid ended up doing the movie Mask, which we'll talk about. Yes, oh. there are scenes still on YouTube that you can see of when Marty first meets his dad in 1955 in the diner and they're both sort of doing like the same mannerisms that you can see it's not really as it there's not a whole lot to it obviously but then Michael mm -hmm. J Fox became available and they were like this kid he gotta go Michael come on so yeah I can't see I don't think I could see anyone other than Michael J Fox remember like probably like 10 years ago now where we're like, they were like, we're going to remake Back to the Future. And guess who's going to star in it? Justin Bieber. And oh. everyone was like, no, honey, that's a bad idea. Oh, man. That'd be awful. That's two bad ideas. <laughs> <laughs> this is a movie that, honestly, I'm surprised they haven't remade yet. I mean, I it's been too. referenced and, like, um, alluded to, like, in so many different yeah. things. I mean. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but yeah, it was AFI's number 10 science fiction movie of all time. Um, you mentioned people like this being a cultural icon. Ronald Reagan actually acknowledges it is 1986 State of the Union address. So even back then, it was like already making its way. There's also a fun fact where Ronald Reagan, when he saw this at the White House, when they mentioned the Ronald Reagan quote that I said earlier, he had them pause it and like rewind it to hear it again. Oh, and you know what he said after that? He said this movie was proof of God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. Only our two <laughs> podcast listeners will understand what that means. If not, go back to the 2012 episode. Good. Oh, goodness. Good Lord. <laughs> oh, that was actually perfect, though. Like, great job. Props. <laughs> And you know, for a split second there, before I like thought back on where the hell that came from, 
I thought you were serious. <laughs> Nancy, this is God. <laughs> they said my name in a film for the first time in 20 years. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but it was voted the 56th best screenplay of all time by the Writers Guild. Again, probably a little high for me, but I can see it. Once again, there is this upcoming stage musical. And somebody, this is one film that you do see. Somebody famous. Is, Sorry, go ahead. No, keep talking. Somebody famous is writing it. I'm going to go look. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, this is one that you see on quite a few, like, top 100 lists, you know, like Hollywood movies. It really is. It, it is one of the more recognizable blockbusters that has ever been released by Hollywood. So give it credit for that. Okay, so... But Christian, you oh, mentioned. No, Sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say. So Alan Silvestri, who did the score, is writing like the music to the musical. Oh, ooh, yes. okay. Keep it close. Yeah, Christian, you mentioned early on how like it's not a typical time travel movie. I love that both in the sense that the stakes are pretty low compared to most time travel flicks, but also how the ending turns out, in which like, spoiler alert things have changed spoiler alert for back for, to the yeah future. for back to the future right things have changed but it's not like everything is like the world is ending it's not even bad it's actually good change i mean you know depending on which way you look at it but it's anyway kids, Marty, kids. Any... <laughs> yes anything else on back to the future um yes I don't know anyone who'd be listening to this. They'd be like, I haven't seen that flick yet. Maybe I should finally get to it. Uh, so but, true. we didn't put the box office. It was number one of the year at 210. Yeah. Yeah. That's quite the haul for 1985. That's like, that's, that's Reaganomics at work right there. <laughs> Jesus. All right, Zay, you're next. Here we come with a cult classic. Because why would Zay pick something? <laughs> Actually, this was nominated for an Oscar. So anyway, we are here with Return to Oz, the sequel to me on the 1939 podcast where we did Wizard of Oz. Bring it back around. I got to be back for the 2011, 12? 13. 13, 13. yeah. 13. <laughs> um, anyway, directed by Walter Murch. Only movie he ever did. More famous for editing and sound. But uh, this is a sequel to the 1939 film, Wizard of Oz. Kinda? Not really. Yes and no. Um, but anyway, Dorothy's back in Kansas seemingly after the events of the first film. Auntie M, played by Piper Laurie, <laughs> and Uncle Henry. As Toby said, in vain of, like, Carrie, Dorothy and <laughs> <laughs> And Uncle Henry have had it with her talking about Oz, so they send her to electroshock therapy. She gets put in a wild-ass machine, a mysterious girl lets her free, she falls to the river and wakes up in Oz. But it looks much different than where she was last. The Emerald City is in ruins with her friends in stone. And the Scarecrow, who is now Keen Scarecrow, is missing. Uh, she finds a new slew of friends, is captured by Princess Moby, who collects heads and wants Dorothy's. 
And the rest of the film is Dorothy attempting to find the Scarecrow and restore the Emerald City and its people to its former glory away from the evil Gnome King. This is a children's film. And, <laughs> and a Disney film. Like, a Disney yes. film that is like three quarters horror film. Like, if you knew nothing about The Wizard of Oz, like, you just knew vague things, you would never have guessed this was a sequel if no one told you. Yeah. Um, kind of like, I enjoyed it more than I expected to. I will say, it's always, like, hard when you have a movie like Wizard of Oz that is so timeless, just, and, you know, you love it so much. It's like, it's easy to go into a movie like Return to Oz having pretty low expectations, which I did. But I was really refreshed that they didn't like I was worried they were going to try to like recreate the Wizard of Oz in their own little way. And they didn't do that. You know, they they kind of took it in their own direction. It was really dark, like you said, and kind of made it something new. And so I really appreciated that. The actress who plays Dorothy in this, I can't remember her name. Anyway, I was just shocked because on the DVD version, I got uh, Feruza Balk she like introduced the movie and i was like oh my god i had that same i just know her only from (laughs) the water boy which she was in with adam sandler and so that just like impacted the rest of my movie watching (laughs) (laughs) but it was fun i liked it i think it it did make me just want to watch the wizard of oz and it did make me like really appreciate the Wizard of Oz and how they were able to make those characters so iconic in that short time with them. But I still did like the characters that were introduced here. They were fun. Um, they were memorable. And yeah, it was for a sequel to the Wizard of, Go- Wizard of Oz. I thought it was good. Christian? <clears throat> As the biggest Wizard of Oz fan in the collective you would think i would hate this because i hate such films as ozzy great and powerful but by god i really like this like a lot i had i saw it when i was a kid it was not scary to me as a kid i mean it was weird because i was like expecting obviously like the emerald city the scarecrow tin man and lion to look like they do in the movie with like people in makeup that's not the case this is it's more toned to the book's illustrations than anything. Now watching it, mm-hmm. I joined the Disney Movie Club a few months ago, and this was one of my first choices because it was like a Disney Blu-ray exclusive, and I was like, you know what? I'll get it for free. Why not? Or a dollar, rather. Um, it's hella creative, I think. It's dark. It fits the tone of the books very well if you're going off the L. Frank Baum stuff. I loved the production design costume designs the special effects there's a great there's the great scene where the gnome king is turning from rock into more human figure and that's such good editing mm-hmm. and that's like i mean i don't know if walter merch you know obviously he's director so he probably has some say in the editing that's him doing that because he's a really good editor from such a apocalypse now in the english patient which he won mm-hmm. oscars for but no this is this is Oz for adults, and I'm an adult. I'm an adult, Dad. <laughs> I'm an adult. What? <laughs> they had those. They reminded me of those like dumb sci-fi series. They were like mini series, and they were like 
like hella edgy Wizard of Oz remakes. I don't know if you ever saw. Like, I own that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, this is this movie only got one Oscar nomination. The sort of visual effects, and I truly think that is like really like yeah, like it deserved it. Like I really wish that the Oscars still did that. They were like this movie flopped. But it still looked cool. We're gonna give it to them because they would never give it to a movie like Return to Oz now. Um, but yeah, it super flopped. Only made eleven point one million dollars at the box office. It was number seventy four. It op- I think it was like number eight in its weekend. Oof. Same weekend, Cocoon came out. Mm. But um, yeah, it was also uh, it made it got into the Guinness World Records at the time because it was released 46 years after the original, which was the record between um, the first movie and its sequel, which Disney later broke with Bambi 2. <laughs> wow. So. Yeah. Um, Christian, you mentioned the Gnome King becoming like the human form and whatnot. That was probably my favorite mm-hmm. point of the film. Um. That's just where it, like it really gets like it's still kind of got this dark feel, but it's also so like very exciting as well in those scenes. I truly like the world it built because it didn't look like the nineteen thirty nine film. They made their own world with yes. it. Yes, and I do like even though it's dark, it's gritty. It doesn't have a whole lot of color to it, except for some scenes. It's it knows what it's doing, and, and also, I like that. It has a lot of style to it, and also characters like TikTok and Jack for. Pumpkin. And like the moose. I mean, they're so yes. enjoyable on their own as these new characters. And then, and then you know, like, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, the Jim Henson people. Jim Henson. And Brian Henson, his son, was doing mm-hmm. Jack Pumpkin. I mean, they're just like really fun characters, too. And then you do get to see, like, the Scarecrow and the Tin Man and the Lion. And I think the Scarecrow is so, I don't know. I mean, I love Ray Bulger as a Scarecrow. But then when you're, like I said, more in line with the illustrations of Baum's books, it's so cool. Just be like an actual scarecrow mm-hmm. slash puppet, whatever, come to life. <laughs> yeah. Then that whole scene, too, um, in The Gnome King, when she's like trying to find which thing is going to bring her friends back. And I'm just like on the edge of my seat, like, girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's intense. But and just like when you watch, you're like, oh, this is why it fucked up yeah. kids. Which one do you like, Christian? You said you saw it as a kid. Was there a scene that kind of like stuck with you as a kid? Um, when Dorothy first encounters the heads, yeah, that's yeah. what I was yeah. thinking because I was just sitting because I worked first saw this like three years ago, and I, I've just been sitting here like, if I saw those heads as a kid, I'd be I mean, just like, no, for I me, could... I was like, well, because I didn't understand who this character was, and I was like, wait, is this Glinda? Did she suddenly turn? like shit girl what's wrong and i was like there's so many heads here it's freaky but then the rest of it is like this is cool the wheelers too they were yeah that's what i thought of that and then also the sand that like the minute you touch it you die like i was trying to find too and i still haven't but i'm sure it's in one of the books like the origins of that whole situation like Oz's outer boundaries mm. because I've looked at maps because I'm a geographer now of Oz. There's like worlds next to Oz, but you have to cross that sand. Like, 
So was this a direct like adaptation of one of the books or is it taking stuff from multiple books? It's multiple books. Um, at, at least, okay. yeah, at least two. Because the Gnome okay. King is an antagonist and Mombi is more like the Wicked Witch. But in this version, Mombi is mixed with another witch who does take heads. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And Ozma, mm-hmm. who is like a she is pretty much Glinda times 10 in Offworld. <laughs> yes. And then everybody else, like side characters like Jack and TikTok, they all have their own books and whatnot. Oh, okay. Cool. Which I found interesting that they wanted to do that and not bank on the familiarity yeah. of the characters in the first one. Which I'm fine with. Yeah. I, I mean, of course I'm fine with, but like, I understand, like, they were probably like, if we put new characters, that's double the merchandise. True. I can, I know how Disney works. Yeah, true. Okay, so um, we have uh, a couple more fun facts here. Uh, young actresses who wanted to uh, go for the role of Dorothy included Drew Barrymore, because of course, Juliette Lewis, and my favorite, Alanis Morissette. <laughs> I want to. I, I want to know what that timeline looks like. Um, and then um, Disney had to get an approval from MGM for use of the ruby slippers, which I think is interesting because they wanted to distance themselves from the original film, but still use the ruby slippers. Right, because then they could have gone with silver slippers. Right. I don't know. Like all the things you change, and you're like, but the slippers. She can't have different slippers. I don't know. It's interesting. But yeah. It's a nice, weird little film. And I think that... I mean, it has a cult following at this point. Like, it's not like people are still shitting on it. But Yeah, that's true. You know, I feel... I feel a little worried for Dorothy going forward after returning back this time because Auntie M has now re- revealed her true colors. But... <laughs> but... She's remorseful, though. True, true. Yeah, I it is an enjoyable movie for sure. Also, there's no Toto. Instead, there's a talking chicken. Talking <laughs> chicken, though, that was actually kind of awesome. Didn't expect it. All right, Christian, are you ready to lead us into our final movie? Yes. So, I am going to read the more or less first paragraph of the Wikipedia synopsis so that I can get this plot pretty much down. Excuse me for the name butchering, but this is Akira Kurosawa's Ran. Uh, Ron. Ron, I knew, my God, I'm practicing this, I knew it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Ron. Was I, was I telling you you're wrong, or was I telling you the correct pronunciation? <laughs> <sighs> Sorry. Kurosawa, of course, director of such films as Rashomon, and, uh, Throne of Blood and yeah so this is one of his later films and it involves oh my gosh the names Ichimonji Hidetora okay he's an elderly warlord and he decides to divide, divide his kingdom up between his three sons Taro, Jiro, and Saburo Taro who is the eldest is going to get the first castle and become leader of the clan while the other two are going to get the second and third castles. This is more or less based on King Lear, 
if anybody has ever read Shakespeare's King Lear, I have not. But things, of course, do not end well because all three sons want more power than they're given. And in the case of the eldest son, he does more power than he probably should. Their King Lear equivalent, Ichimonji, is kicked out of his own place. He tries to find shelter elsewhere, but everybody's out to kill each other. It is a grand old epic. And we talked about Out of Africa and the other episode being an epic and how I said the 80s were too full of epics, but damn it, this is one of the best epics of yeah. the 80s. Great costume design, perfect for pretty much the period of it. Great acting. And I say that because you'll see my personal acting ranks. Hint, hint. Um, Akira Kurosawa, he was pretty much his late 70s, 80s in the making of this. But this is like a man at his prime creating this film. Um, yeah. I had never seen this film. It was nominated for Best Director, uh, which is primarily why I wanted to watch it. And then I pushed for us to watch it and talk about it just because, again, never seen it. Uh, I don't know if any of you had seen it prior, but yeah. I have nope. not. And... I had seen before I'd seen Rashomon and Seven Samurais. Samurai. Seven Samurai. And um, uh, going in, I was like, I was like, I know this is an epic and I know like and all this. And I was like, I saw the runtime and I don't like long movies very much. But I went in and I was like, all right, I can, after coming out of it though, I was like, I can get down with this movie. It's just, the way it is directed is just beautiful. It's astounding. Like um, the outside shots are just as good as like the the interior mm-hmm. shots. Like it's just like a big old balancing game. I don't know. I have no idea how uh, any like amount of humans were just able to come together to make something like this. It just blows my mind of like the scale of this movie. Honestly, but, epic um, yeah. scale of this yeah. movie. And most of it, I mean, for me, um, most of it was just shot outside. And it's literally a bunch of mm-hmm. people fighting over who gets what. Yeah. But, Honestly. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, like, plot-wise, like, when I think of the bare bones of the plot, this probably shouldn't work for me. Um, I mean, partially, I'm not a huge Shakespeare person either. So, but it really does, like, this is the same length as Out of Africa, but it feels like five times shorter. <laughs> If not more. And um, what's that? It's more interesting too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Far more interesting. Um, it's really interesting to see like just the drama between these characters. Lady Cade, uh, who is um, the wife of one of the brothers. Oh no. She becomes the wife of one of the brothers. She is really something like she is like really like twisting in and doing what she wants to do and eventually pays for it. But she's really interesting to follow. The lead character is really interesting to follow as well, especially because of the great performance um, from Tatsuya Nakadai. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, But of course, like you said, this, this film is known for its cinematography. Like I've seen this on numerous lists saying it's like possibly the most beautiful film ever made. And it's hard for me to say like that, something like that definitively, but it's definitely up there. It's in contention. 
The colors are great. Even in every shot, there is something beautiful to look at, even if it's just the sky. Mm -hmm. And so it's really one where it's a lot easier to sit through than I expected it to be. And mm -hmm. it's just like you just get to take it in, take in the epic scale, take in the beauty of it. Um, really should have won best cinematography. That's probably that's almost as bad as out of Africa winning best picture is this losing cinematography. Which it lost, Which it lost out of Africa. Africa. Exactly. So this is where I would like put in my like little sub genre that I've invented myself of like movies that I would love as coffee table books of just like, like just paid, like you could easily just make like different, like, frames just like beautiful like shots and just like True. like i have my book of roma that's literally a coffee table book of just shots in that movie yeah yeah, yeah yeah basically yeah it's pretty wonderful and i i'm not as familiar with the cure Kurosawa as i'd like to be i did finally watch rashomon and that was yeah. brilliant this was also brilliant so so far two for two five stars both go arounds. I would say so. if you would watch another Kurosawa film, Throne of Blood is the equivalent of Macbeth. So again, with Shakespeare, uh, that is honestly, God, that's a great film. Nice. Like, Rashomon is great on his own merit, especially because of the filmmaking. But for another epic, and it's a little, it is short. It's like two hours. That's a great film. But yeah. Um, so this one costume design, which I can get around, obviously, it's a period piece in terms of mm -hmm. Japanese history. Costumes are very uh, close to that. Three nominations, one for Kurosawa. I think his only straight up just best director nomination is entire life. Yeah, pretty sure. You're right. Art direction. Uh, yes, I can get that. Cinematography as well. Um, God, I would, I really wish I would have gotten a score nomination. Mm. It's a very traditional Japanese score, I guess, but it stuck with me. Stuck with me more than Out of Africa. Because Out of Africa, again, the flying scene is about as great as the score gets. Sidney yeah. Lament, uh, another great director, led a campaign to get Kurosawa nominated for Best Director. And the film... I did not say that it was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film because Japan didn't even consider it. And why was that? Because they were idiots. <laughs> no. So they got pretty much upset with Kurosawa for skipping the premiere of this movie. I'm not sure why he skipped the premiere, but because of that, they got super bitter and they were like, yeah, we're not submitting this for Best Foreign Language Film. So there's that bit of fun facts but this i read also this has really pushed hard to get a best picture nomination i mean i could see it mm. um again, inspired by king lear and i mean kurosawa's last epic film another note about the king lear thing when he started writing the film when the film was starting to be made or whatever i did he write it um yes yes he was one of the writers Okay, so he was writing it. It didn't start out as a King Lear thing. It ended up there. Because he kept writing it, and then it was like, wait, this is kind of like King Lear. And then he just, like, leaned into it. Just slap it on there. I also think that it's pretty cool that Tatsuya Nakadai, who plays the main character, he is 
an old man in this movie. But then you like look at his bio and he's only 86 now. So like good job on that, oh, good really? job on that makeup, folks. <laughs> Interesting. Mm-hmm. And you look at his wiki p- the picture and you're like, oh, he's kind of cute. He looks hell young. For an 86-year-old, <laughs> like, you got some jeans on him. And, okay, his first movie, Seven Samurai. Wow. And, like, his last movie, his last movie is this year. He's making one in 2020, it says. Ooh. Like, oh the man's God. still working. I had no idea. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that they at least gave Kurosawa a Best Director nomination because that was obviously long overdue. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really, Still yeah, good. and yeah, he. I think he should have won. I mean, spoiler alert, but um, mm-hmm. really, really great work here. No, Brett, what are you saying? Earlier in our conversation, I, I was really reading that you loved Out of Africa. Uh, you know, I, am I picking up something wrong? Sidney Pollock, it? he's had <laughs> hits, you know, but yeah. Okay, anything else on Ron before we move on? It's a great film. I really, there I don't know is. if it's on. I don't think it's on Criterion, but this is one that's like, why isn't it? Yeah, it is on the Criterion Channel though, because that's where I watched it. Okay. Nice. Okay, before we get into our um, personal nominations and winners, I do have once again our viewing stats from this go round. <laughs> <laughs> this was taken. Your just... voice. Your voice went a little robotic, and then Christian <laughs> just the face. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is just from the Google Drive we shared with each other. So if anything you didn't add to that, it might not be in here. Of course, I was I did not get as deep into this one. School started. Um, I watched 17 films for about 33 hours. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Christian. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Before you say this, I what? have to make sure I added the last one I saw. Okay, I did. You go ahead. <laughs> okay. Christian, 25 films for about I feel like 46 I watch hours. A whole lot. Wow. <laughs> and Zay, I know you've been I'd working. Like to, I'd like to preface saying I started in July after we recorded the last one. Right. So I don't want people to think that I'm a fucking freak of nature <laughs> just sitting in my house. <laughs> I was going to say, I appreciate you throwing that in there because I was going to say, Zay's been watching for a while. But you did rack up 47 movies for about 86, almost 87 hours of runtime. How many so have... How many of those are we going to talk about? <laughs> not, not all of them. I would like to say that if you do go to Queer Chur of the Night, I'm going to put like all the horror films I saw. I'm going to rack up a little all the horror films of 1985 I saw. Nice. Onto that. When you do that, so. please give us a link and we will retweet it out there. Yes. Thank you. But yeah, well done. Total, we watched for about 166 hours, which is about the equivalent of seven days. So if you spend a whole week doing nothing but watching movies, you can cover what we covered for this podcast kind of cool okay are we ready for nominations 
Okay, forget the brief mentions, I guess. Yeah. Oh, my bad. Brief mentions. I, I always do that. You did it again. I, do, uh, I always do that. I guess I'm just overexcited. Okay, brief mentions. Let me get back up to him here. The first one is the Breakfast <laughs> Club. Oh, yeah. Love the Breakfast Club. We didn't talk about it because everybody talks about the Breakfast Club. I mean, it's one of those movies like Zay where you hear about it like every single day reference in some point. It's a great yeah. movie. It's a great movie by all means. It's a great cast. It's like, I really like it. I think it's probably in my mind, the gold standard of like 1980s Brat Pack movies. Honestly, but... though. Uh, there was also Brazil, which I recently watched and found super interesting. I actually really enjoyed it. But it's another after hours movie for me where I like I should like this, but then I watch it and I'm like eh. a lot of books no more. said that it was like the biggest snub and I'm like eh. I don't know if I'd go there. I mean, I don't know. In some categories, like yes. Uh we also had Clue coming out this year with um, Tim Curry. Board game. A fantastic board game. based on the board game, obviously. <laughs> We had the Goonies, which a lot of people overrated. Whoa! Oops, did I say that? Agree. I agree. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Yep. It's definitely one of those you have to watch it as a kid. If you don't watch it as a kid, you're probably not gonna like it. I saw we saw that's it my, in a sold out theater. Let me say that. <laughs> oh, people love it. People love it. They really do. Um, Cocoon, which yeah, somebody put an interesting fun fact here. I did here. that. Do you want to share with us? Yes. So um, I watched Cocoon yesterday. Brett, you watched it yes today. today. See, okay. It was yeah. very hard to find. Oh, my God, but I found it. Don, Honestly, yeah. it's out of print. Yeah. Um, so Don Amici, who won Supporting Actor, he is one of the only few who has won an Oscar without having been nominated for any other major awards prior to that. So, like, no BAFTA, no Golden Globe. There was no Critics' Choice at the time. None of, the, like, the New York film critics or whatever, so. That's wild. And that's wild. Oh. It's a great film. <laughs> I cried. It is. Yeah. Like, as far as sci- you, all the sci-fi films you hear about that are great, you don't hear about Cocoon. You hear it as, like, a punchline. And I'm like, no, this is good. Like, yeah. look, in my review, I wrote that I, I work at a, a like, a a lumber yard place where a lot of old people go to get their lumber, I guess, and other molds. <laughs> I work with old people every day. I do not want to come home and watch a movie about old people, but I love these old people, okay? They're having the time <laughs> of their lives. They're having the best sex of their lives. Like, Also, Wilford Brimley went, went on after this to save the world from diabetes, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> Leave Wilfred alone. And you know what? He's still alive. Well, he was only True. like 50 when they made this. Yeah, because it just looks like yeah. that. <laughs> they didn't have to add makeup or anything. <laughs> oh, Wilford. Okay. We also had the trip to Bountiful. Um, in our previous episode, we mentioned the Oscar win for Geraldine Page from I think that movie. You mean the Hallmark movie of the week, The Trip to Bountiful? yes honestly for real 
I would like to take this moment here. It reminded me of a, an indie film hardly anyone's watched. I showed it to Christian, Strangers in Good Company. It has that same exact feel about elderly women, except that one is a, like, it's a great movie. It's like super like authentic. I will also, you gotta watch I will also Strangers say The Trip to Bountiful has been remade as a Lifetime movie with Cecily Smith. Oh, yeah. Yep. I saw that in the li- when I was looking it up in the library. Uh, Did not watch that one by mistake. <laughs> we also have White Knights. Oh, I watched that. That's like, we're at the height of the Cold War, people. It is about like a Russian defect who is like, literally Russia's like, if you don't dance for us again, we will send you back to Russia. <laughs> and he has to dance with Gregory Hines, who's a defect from America. And then Isabel Rosalini is like Gregory Hines' wife, but they all want a defect back to America now. And it won an Oscar for Best Original Song for the classic Say You, Say Me, which makes no sense in that fucking movie. But <laughs> it's, it's a fine movie, okay? Okay, but neither did the power of love and Back to the Future. I think we need to go back to songs and movies that don't really make yeah, sense, but true. they just want the Oscar. I actually forgot Power <laughs> of Love originated with Back to the Future, and then I started watching. I'm like, oh shit, that's right. But uh, Zay, props to you for watching all of Showa. Yeah, I mean, I have super depression now, so maybe that <sighs> caused it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, a nine-hour Holocaust documentary. Um, that that was on like three or four discs on the Criterion Collection. I don't know how I made through it. Brett it's very. We've only seen the first two hours, Brett. Yeah. And I. I mean, it's super important if you have the time or the will to see such a movie. You should because it's important. Because you know all those stats of people like what was the Holocaust? Yeah, I swear the only thing from that, I still remember this one song that this guy was singing, and it's like, onward, onward to Triblinka. I I don't know why that's always in my head. It's haunting. It is. Um, Also watched Mask with Cher. Yeah. And it's a real life story about a boy with a disease whose name I forgot, but it's a really, it's very schmaltzy. Mm. Like, if you're not ready for the schmaltz, maybe it's not for you, but it it's something I've seen three or four times, and every time I just cry more because I love that boy so much. Aww. And Cher. It's a it's, it's really good movie. I watched it for the first time for this. I've seen scenes from it, I know, on TV before, but not the whole thing. It's the anti-Wonder, if you saw Wonder back in 2017. Oh, yeah, so much better than Wonder. Nice. Uh, Agnes of God? very actorly movie jane fonda and Anne bancroft meg tilly um directed by norman jewison um Ooh. very i liked it a lot i liked it's like contributions to the conversation about religion and stuff nice. about saw, a nun i saw that who kills a baby uh we also had the purple rose of cairo directed by woody allen Ugh. but it is it is a nice movie i mean if you can get past watching a Woody Allen movie. I like that movie. I will say it's my favorite Woody Allen movie. There you go. That I've seen so far. I, I didn't love it, anything, but I liked it. Anything that has to do with like movies, acknowledging movies and watching movies and the hell the movies oh, yeah. come out of you, I'm like all for that. Yeah, it's hard mm-hmm. not to like that. Um, we also had a chorus line. Fuck that movie. 
<laughs> Enough said. Richard Attenborough, who directed Gandhi and who was uh, Hammond in Jurassic Park, directed mm -hmm. it. He got the themes of the movie wrong, or the themes of the play wrong. He got the movie all wrong. He turned it into a love story between some random actress and Michael Douglas. <laughs> it's one of the worst Broadway adaptations ever. Moving on. Wow. <laughs> Um, okay, I'm I have no idea how to pronounce this. Nausicaa. I the last A, I wasn't sure if that added something to it. Okay. No. Um special thing about this came out in 1984 in Japan, but then came out in America in 1985, but they had cut it and they cut out about 30 minutes of the film Ooh. to make it more like Americanized. And they just like it's a movie about like environmentalism, but there's also like a war in the movie. They took out all the environmental shit and just made it a war film. Okay. And after that, Hayao Miyazaki was like, you're not cutting my films anymore or you're not getting distribution. Wow. Fun fact for 1985. Yeah, I love him. Uh, the official story. Which, which I one? I watched that, yes. So it is the first film from Argentina, Argentina. thank you to win the Oscar for foreign language film. I watched it in a class specifically of South American cinema, and it is about the dirty war that Argentina mm. had during their dictatorship and how children of mothers who were imprisoned political prisoners were pretty much given up to people who supported this dictatorship. And it's about a mother realizing that, hey, maybe my daughter is one of these people. I really like it. I really like the actress in it on her mm -hmm. in a little bit. They also watched yeah. it because I, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yes, I enjoyed it. Very nice. Sweet Dreams, which is one that I really wish I had watched, honestly. Story of... It's fine. It's story of Patsy Cline, right? That's the right one? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. It is part of the country Her. female singer cinematic universe. <laughs> <laughs> but they kind of were... You know how Edward Norton, they changed him to Mark Ruffalo? Yeah, they went from Beverly D'Angelo and Coal Miner's Daughter to Jessica Lane and Sweet Dreams. <laughs> That's I, all I need to know. I liked it only because I did not know a whole lot about Patsy Cline. And I mean, at least I got to hear like, her it's actually nice. singing because Jessica Lane is there just like lip singing it. Yeah, she Rami Malek's it. Ah, uh, damn. But okay. she's still fine. It's a fine movie. That's good. We have Twice in a Lifetime. Literally just asked myself, wait, who wrote this? And I forgot. I watched this last night. <laughs> Gene Hackman. Yeah, I was like, Gene I Hackman is married to Ellen Burstein. And then he has an affair with Anne Margaret and then falls for Anne Margaret. And it's like, Ooh. see ya, Ellen. But then Ellen starts having like the time of her fucking life. Because obviously, and like Amy Madigan, who is married to Ed Harris like in real life, is in this, and she got a Best Supporting Actress nomination, and literally watching it for that nomination, I'm like, for what? Whining this entire movie? Oof. Like, she literally <laughs> gives her kid a ding-dong in a grocery store, and her kid's like, I don't like ding-dong. She's like, you like ding-dongs! <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we also have Murphy's Romance. I have someone put here just want to mention the noms. I mean, I watched it and Zay watched it. Literally just James Garner got a nomination mm -hmm. for Best Actor. Which it's is just weird because it's a Sally Field like, vehicle. Huh. He's barely, it's a Sally Field movie. And what the fuck he getting a nomination for? 
I saw that was his only nomination. But... I must say it has a great scene that involves when they first meet each other because he owns a soda shop slash pharmacy. And she's like, could I have a Coke with lemon? And he's like, yeah, you can have a Coke. And fun fact, Coke paid for the movie to include the word Coke like four times in that particular scene as product placement. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Wow. Um, we mentioned the previous episode, but listen here once again for our brief mentions. Cher's iconic dress at the Oscars. Any other thoughts on I that? I just wanted to put it down so Zay could talk about it. <laughs> I mean, in the best, it's, it's uh, Bob Mackie who designed that, of course. And at the beginning of the, when she was introducing the best supporting actor, she was like, obviously I took notes on how to dress like a serious actress. Ooh. Damn. So good. And then because she was snubbed for mask because she got the can she got the can award for best actress but the oscars were like nah damn and then last but not least of course basically the theme of this whole episode the golden girls what can i say you can't i can't say anything anything, (laughs) as we record this it is september 15th yesterday september 14th was the actual premiere date of the golden girls and mm-hmm. I watch it every single night before I go to bed because it helps me sleep and have good dreams. Very nice. And as they can tell you, I know a whole lot of fun facts about every single episode. I, I'm like, I've seen every episode multiple times, but then Christian's like, this happened. I'm like, huh, I never noticed. <laughs> like the Golden Girls definitely developed my sense of humor. All right. Very nice. Okay. Now, are you ready for personal nominations and wins? Yes. Okay. Where Christian mean mugs us. (laughs) (laughs) We always stop the wrong answers. (laughs) Okay. We'll start with best original screenplay. Anybody want to start off for us? I will. Awesome. Um, Though one of mine is weird because I'm like, kind of yes, kind of no. And I was like, it doesn't matter. No one's monitoring me. Um, (laughs) <laughs> as, so, as the as the people from the fbr are like shit <laughs> <laughs> okay so um for number five i have witness for number four i have cocoon for number i don't have these numbered so i'm like ranking them now as <laughs> um number three i have breakfast club number two I have Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which I, it doesn't say based on anything. So I was like, all right, so it's original, right? So that's what I was just going off of. Because it's based off the character, but the script itself is not based on anything. Yeah. Who knows how the Oscars would do it anyways. Anyway. Anyway. And the number one for buddies. All right. I'll go next. Number five, I have The Breakfast Club. Number four, I have Brazil. Number three, I have Witness. Number two, After Hours. And number one, I have Buddies. Ooh. Okay. All right, Christian, pressure's on. Again, like Zay would say with Pee Wee, I have no idea how the Oscars would think because, again, this was not originally intended to be based off of King Lear. But at number five, I have Ron. Because, mm. again, it wasn't supposed to be based off of King Lear. That's just how it happened. At number four, The Purple Rose of Cairo. Number three, Buddies. Number two, Back to the Future. And my number one is The Breakfast Club. 
Very nice. Because that point system, I think buddies would have won. And that's all I'm taking away from you. <laughs> Suddenly we're doing math. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Zay, best adapted screenplay. What you got? All right. For best adapted, we are going to go number five, Clue. Number four, Kiss of the Spider Woman. Number three, Ron. Because I put Ron in adapted because we're making this up as we go along anyway. There we go. Number two, Nausicaa Valley of the Wind. Number one, The Color Purple. Okay. Um, I thought adapted screenplay was pretty weak this year, not going to lie. Um, not that there aren't really good nominees there, but I had trouble filling out an entire category. Let's just put it that way. And so oh. I actually only have four. Um, two of them are debatable. <laughs> so <laughs> number four, I have Pee Wee. I put it as adapted because I didn't. Who knows? Number three, Kiss of the Spider Woman. That's chaos. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to sue us. Uh, <laughs> number two once again I was not aware of the whole King Lear thing so I assumed it was based on it so I put Ron and number one I have the color purple okay my Christian. adaptive screenplay because I swear I saw this is based off of something number five cocoon oh okay like, I swear in the opening credits it said based off of something well, if so, that would be in my five. So. Uh, so number four, Kiss of the Spider Woman. Number three, Clue. Basing off of a board game, I guess. But, yeah. <laughs> number two, Pee Wee. And number one, The Color Purple. All right. Two for two. Best Supporting Actor. What do we got? See, this was such a weird category for me. I had such a hard time figuring out Best Supporting Actor. I this was like... This was like a very weak category for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, so number five, we have William Hickey for Pritzi's Honor. <laughs> right? <laughs> this is my problem. <laughs> um, and then for number four, we have Danny Glover for The Color Purple. Number three, we have Don Amici for Cocoon. Number two, Tim Curry for Clue. And then this one is a movie we haven't even talked about. I give it to Treat Williams for Smooth Talk. Ooh. Smooth Talk is this movie that it was like one of Laura Dern's first movies, and he plays the antagonist in this. Oh, he gave me such fucking chills. Oh, it's so good. Just like it's a dra- it's a drama grow, uh, coming of age, but it just takes a turn right in the middle. Wow, it's so good. okay. Everyone needs to look up Smooth Talk. Very nice. My number five is, I know I'm going to butcher his name, but Daizuki Ryu. Um, he plays one of the sons in Ron. He plays the the good one, I guess. Saburo, whatever. Um, number four, I have Don Amici for Cocoon. Number three, Christopher Lloyd for Back to the Future. Number two, Danny Glover for The Color Purple. And number one, it may be controversial because you could see either co-lead or supporting, but I went with Jeff Ed Holm for Buddies. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, so for me, I don't know. There's so many I could put. This is so interchangeable. Number five, I have Tatsuya Nakadai for Ron, who was the main character of the father. 
Number four, I have Anthony Michael Hall for the Breakfast Club. Mm. Number three, I have Jeff Edholm for Buddies. Number two, Danny Glover, The Color Purple. And my winner, Christopher Lloyd, Great Scott, for Back to the Future. Can't argue. I wanted to put somebody from Cocoon so bad, but like, they're all good. It's such a weird thing. Because like, even looking back, I'm like, Don Amici, I'm like, but there's also this and yeah, that, and I'm like, right? just give him one. Well, if we did it like an ensemble thing, Cocoon wins my ensemble. Oh, for I'm sure. just saying that. I'd go with the color purple, but Cocoon is definitely nominated. Okay, fair. <laughs> okay, best supporting actress. Zay, take us away. Here we go. For number five, we have Michelle Pfeiffer in Lady Hawk. Which is like a pure, it's like a sword and sand, not sword and sand. It's like, it's a fantasy movie, it takes place in old times. It's weird, but I liked her in it. Um, then, number four, we have Kelly McGillis in Witness. Number three, Meg Tilly in Agnes of God. Two, Margaret Avery for The Color Purple. And number one, small time actress Oprah Winfrey for The Color Purple. I wonder what she's up to these days. <laughs> All right. Number five, I have Ali Sheedy for The Breakfast Club. Christian, I think I texted you about this. I love her in that movie. I think she's hilarious, but... She's also in Twice in a Lifetime. There you go. She's in St. Elmo's Fire that year as well, which is a terrible movie, but anyway. Rest in peace, Ali Sheedy, or at least her career. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) We have to have an obituary at the end oh my of God. the episode notes. <laughs> In memoriam. <laughs> Number four, I have um, Mako Harada from Ron, Lady K. Mm-hmm. Number three, Desrita Jackson for The Color Purple. Number two, Margaret Avery for The Color Purple. And number one, Oprah Winfrey for The Color Purple. All right. So... Okay. All right. You'll notice in mind that the, the five nominations only come from two movies. Ooh. Go ahead. Okay. So number five, Madeline Kahn for Clue. Mm. Number four, Ooh. Leslie Ann Warren for Clue. Number three, Oprah Ooh. for The Color Purple. Ooh. Number two, Margaret Avery for The Color Purple. Number one, as young Seely does Rita Jackson for The Color Purple. Okay, only two movies. Very nice. All right, getting in the lead categories. Zay, take us away with Best Leading Actor. All right, well, I did Leading Actor, and it's different because I think at least two of these were put in supporting on y'all's, but it's fine. Um, Number five, I'm going to put Ken Ogata from Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters, which we didn't talk about. But I enjoyed it. It was a very poetic film. Um, number three, I'm going to have to go... Wait, number four. I can't count. Math! Number four, I'm going to go with um, William Hurt, Kiss of the Spider-Woman. Number three, I'm going with Raul Julia, Kiss of the Spider-Woman. Two, Tatsuya Nakadai, Veron. And my best actor when goes to Jeff at home for buddies. Okay. 
My number five, I had Jonathan Price for Brazil. Number four. <laughs> okay. <laughs> number four. I told you he liked it. <laughs> number four. Once again, I went lead here as well. Tatsuya Nakadai for Ron. Number three, I had Raul Julia for Kiss of the Spider-Woman. Number two, William Hurt for Kiss of the Spider-Woman. And number one, David Schachter for Buddies. Christian? <laughs> Surprisingly a good year for Best Actors. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm usually having trouble with Best Actors, and I'm like, nope, I don't have enough room. surprise you all. <laughs> Pocket sand? Is that what you're doing? Number five, Jeff Daniels for the Purple Road. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, okay. Michael J. Fox for Back to the Future. Number three, Raul Julia for Kiss of the Spider Woman. Number two, William Hurt for Kiss of the Spider Woman. And number one, the only winner of that year, Paul Rubens for Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Ooh. See, he was someone okay. I had to kick off. I felt bad. Yeah. Hey, man, Michael J. Fox on mine. I felt pretty bad. Oh, I didn't care about Michael J. Fox. <laughs> <laughs> Keep in mind, I also saw Teen Wolf, and it just hurt my image oh, of him. I fucking oh, hate that fair. movie. Fair. Okay. <laughs> All right. Best leading actress. Take it away. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number five. We have Jane Fonda for Agnes of God. Number four, we have Norma Elan- Alejandro. Right? Yeah, for the official story. Uh, number three, we have Laura Dern for Smooth Talk. Um, number two, Cher for Mask. It's what she deserves. She deserves the nomination. I will die on this hill. And the win goes to Whoopi Goldberg for The Color Purple. All right. Number five, I have Mia Farrow for Purple Purple Rose of Cairo. Number four, I did put Geraldine Page for The Trip to Bountiful. Didn't deserve the win, but I'm cool with the knob. Number three, Meryl Streep out of Africa, kind of the same. Number two, again, maybe controversial, I put Kelly McGillis for Witness and Lead. And number one, once again, Whoopi Goldberg, The Color Purple. <laughs> Number five, Miss Meryl Streep for Out of Africa. Number four, Share Bitch for Man. <laughs> I had to. Number three, Geraldine Page for The Trip to Bountiful. Number two, Norma Alejandro for The Official Story. Great film, honestly, in my opinion. Brett, please watch it. I can't be. And number one, Whoopi for The Color Purple. All right. Why didn't they just have us vote for the Oscars? No, right? This is going much better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Zay, best director. Directors. Number five, we have Steven Spielberg for The Color Purple. <laughs> Christian. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I have a little Number okay. Number four, we have Arthur J. Fresen Jr. for Buddies. Number three, we have Paul Schrader for Mishima. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, 
Hayao Miyazaki for Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. And the winner is Akira Kurosawa. Uh, Kurosawa for Ron. Paul Schrader is going to get on his Facebook tonight and be like, some kid just randomly said my name for a movie I've never heard of in my life. <laughs> 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 All right, number five, I have Arthur J. Bresson Jr. for Buddies. Number four, I have Robert Zemeckis for Back to the Future. Number three, Martin Scorsese for After Hours. Number two, Steven Spielberg, The Color Purple. And number one, Akira Kurosawa for Ron. Oh, man. The <laughs> Spielberg erasure, I swear. Number five. <laughs> At least my number two. At least Brad put him higher than number I did. Hey, here's the thing. Here's the thing. At least we nominated him. The Oscars can't say that. So. Number five, Tim Burton for Peely's Big Adventure. Number four, Robert Zemeckis for Back to the Future. Number three, John Hughes for The Breakfast Club. Number two, Steven Spielberg for The Color Purple. <laughs> That's called Set Up. <laughs> and my number one, Akira Kurosawa for Ron. Yes. A lot of agreement here. Mm-hmm. All right. Finally, best picture. Zay, take it away. Hold on a second. Hold on. I have to, one of these films I have to say who the director was. Right. I forgot. Okay. I don't know how I forgot his name. Oh, Woody Allen. Anyway. <laughs> I don't think that would make my top 10 <laughs> anyway okay so for number 10 we have Smooth Talk again great film everyone look it up 9 I have this movie I saw just this morning A Z and Two Knots twin boys who work at a zoo obsessed with decompo- decomposing animals after their wives die in a car crash Ooh. it's very art house I loved it okay the uh, number eight, we have The Angelic Conversation, which is a Derek Jarman film. And if you know him, you know exactly what kind of film you're getting into. Very artsy, very poetic. Loved it. It's also on Canopy. So is Zed and Two Nuts. Fucking love Canopy. Um, number seven, we have Return to Oz. Number six, we have Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Number five, we have Clue. Number four, we have Shoah. Three, The Color Purple. Two, Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind. Number one, Buddies. All right. Can't complain. Number 10, I have Cocoon. Number nine, Kiss of the Spider Woman. Number eight, Brazil. Number seven, Witness. Number six, The Breakfast Club. Number five, Back to the Future. Four, After Hours. Number three, Buddies. Number two, Ron. And number one, The Color Purple. It's due justice. At number 10, I have The Purple Rose of Cairo. No comments in the peanut gallery? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) At number nine, I have Return to Oz. Number eight, I have Clue. Number seven, Cocoon. I just like saying that word. Cocoon. Number six, I have Buddies. Number five, The Breakfast Club. Number four, Back to the Future. Number three, Ron. Number two, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And number one, El 
key color violeta aka the color purple for english speakers oh i thought you were saying no. out of africa <laughs> there you have it i think we can conclusively say that the oscars very much got it wrong the color purple year. the color purple and buddies so there you go I mean, my color purple is number three. So out of the ones that were nominated, it would yes. be number one. Right. All right. Listeners, that is the year 1985, both of some Oscar noms and some other movies that we were able to talk about. Um, thanks for listening. Once again, follow us, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and at gildedfilms.com. Rate, review, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, if you can. Um and yeah, check us out. Oh, and also thank you for to Joshua Arnoldi once again for composing our theme music. And again, thanks again to Zay and Christian for joining me today. Zay, once again, just so they hear it again, do you want to tell them where they can find you? Yeah, thanks for having me, of course. I'm sure you'll see me again or hear me again. I guess that's how podcasts work. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I also do drag. If y'all like drag, I do Vanity Socks on Instagram. Um, Vanity Rex on Twitter. Uh, please follow me on Twitter. I'm so funny. No one pays attention. Um, and then my film blog is queertureofthenight.wordpress.com until I can afford money for a real website. Um, and yeah, I think, and like I said earlier in the episode, I'm going to do the 1985 films of horror, which will be cool for the upcoming Halloween season. Yeah. All right. Christian, anything else to add? Um, I still write for Scene Stealers. And yeah, scenestealers.com. My last review was actually this past week. And it was a documentary on Fiddler on the Roof, which I absolutely loved. Nice. Yes. Very nice. Well, um, thanks for listening once again. Next time, we will be covering the Oscar nominees of the 1944 Academy Awards which was won by going my way. But we will be keeping an eye out. We will have Zay back with us once again to discuss our top 10 horror films of all time, just in time for spooky season and Halloween. So be looking out for that. Thank you both once again. And thanks again to the listeners. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.